Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by the Nyaradza Group. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today, I'm in conversation with Cordelia Gapare, the Chief Executive Officer of Silash in the United Kingdom. Enjoy this truly inspirational quality conversation. Cordelia Gapare, the Chief Executive Officer of CLASH, based in London. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor Cody. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Cody, your story is a story of courage. It's the story of uh, determination, a story of resilience, a story of hope. But much more importantly, it's a story of innovation. You are the first person in the whole world who innovated, who discovered, uh, or rather who created uh, the first ever false eyelashes for chemotherapy patients. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I also discovered there, Cody, that you're also dyslex dyslexic like me. Um, absolutely. Um, and, and about the, the um, bringing to market the first ever uh, false life for people with cancer. Um, yeah, this is something that uh, was part of my own journey. It, it, it was um, something I created out of uh, adversity. Mm. Um, and about the dyslexia, um, it's, it's, it's funny that, you know, it's like I'm discovering, I, 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 I think I have known um, and I've followed you my whole life uh, from Zimbabwe. And I didn't realize you were dyslexic, but for I me, dyslexic. I only... I only found out when I was in uni, actually, because from a young age, I was always bottom of my class. And mm. um, at that time, um, there was so much emphasis on academia. And um, if you weren't good, you were just considered lawful, um, mm. somebody who was not very bright. And I grew up with this knowledge of knowing that I wasn't very bright. Um, and it was quite sad because for me, I used to love a show called Cousin Slow. Mm. And it really absolutely made me fall in love with. I love Cousin's Law too. So we have a number of things in common, Cody. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you love I the show. I wanted to be Marjorie Carson. And, <laughs> and that was my thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really wanted to be a lawyer. But obviously, I knew that, you know, I could never be because my parents didn't have money to send me to, you mm. know, fancy schools or extra lessons or anything like that. Um, and knowing my academic limitations, I just knew, but then that dream never left me because, you know, it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you say, what do you mm. want to be? And people say, I want to be a lawyer. And then maybe two years later, I want to be a pilot. For me, mm. it was always, I wanted to be a lawyer. It was always you wanted to be a lawyer. Tell me, in what effect did uh, being dyslexic um, uh, manifest itself as far as you're concerned? Um, I could never get um, spelling right. You know, it's like I would always, I would change the whole sentence because I couldn't spell a certain word. Um, I, I, I just would never quite um, remember the things that other people would get quite easily. For mm. me, it would take me ages. Mm. And it, it's, 
even though I used to be, to have conversation with me, my dad used to say that when I have a conversation with you, you're clearly very bright. But when it came to putting things on paper, mm. they just looked back to front and it took me ages to articulate in writing what I wanted to say. In my head, it was very clear. But when it came to writing and, 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 and just remembering things, it was just really, really difficult. So yeah, I, and I never did associate that with dyslexia. I just thought I wasn't a bright kid. That, yeah. that's it. That, that's a, that I can identify with that, uh, Cody. Uh, I, I, my, I got beaten up quite a lot by my teachers, grade one, two, three, because they thought I was dull. I was lazy. I had problems with compre comprehension. I had problems with spelling. I didn't understand how people could put B-O-I and say it's boy. It never meant it. never made any sense to me. So I completely, uh, you know, identify with what you're saying, Cody. Yeah, and 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 it's 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 weird because at a time when you get a diagnosis, when somebody tells you there is something wrong with you. It's instead of being scared because somebody has told you something is wrong, mm. it's such a relief because now you know why your whole life you have struggled with things like everybody else. Yeah. But then again, I always say my dyslexia has been my superpower because I think like me, you see the world differently from anybody else. You see solutions where other people see problems. Yeah. And it, it, for me, it has been the thing that has been my biggest, I would never give up my dyslexia for anything. It's, it's really saved me. I, I see the world in, in a very different and interesting way. It's a gift, hey? It's a gift. It, it, it is an absolute gift. It yeah. has been. So you wanted to be a lawyer, uh, Cody, um, but you, your, your life uh, turned completely uh, into a different direction. Talk to me about your quest to become a lawyer and, and where you've now ended up uh, being as a, as, as a professional and as a, as a, as a human being? Um, actually, where I came, where I ended up had directly linked to that dream of becoming a lawyer because I came to the UK and I had a bit of disposable income. And for me, I thought, why not revisit the dream of becoming a lawyer? And I was working for a really amazing company called Fleet Operations at the time. And the, the, the guy who owned the company was the one who said to me, you know, you know, you can do MVQs and you get enough points to get you into university. And we've got a program at this at, at this uh, company because you talk about this lawyer thing so much. Um, we are quite willing to let you go on this program for free. So they literally funded my MVQs to level to uh, level three, mm. and I immediately applied to go to university. So you can imagine this has this was about four or five years in the making of studying just to, to realize my dream because for the first time in my life, I, I was working as a data analyst. And mm. this is the other thing that used to surprise me. Even though I'd never passed a math exam in my life ever, I was a really good data analyst. I worked in a casino as a croupier and I was really good at numbers. So mm. it didn't make sense to me that when I'm applying things in real life, I get it just like that. Mm. When I am in an exam situation or a, a, a sort of like school situation, I don't get it. Mm. So I did my MVQs. Um, I applied to go to Manchester Metropolitan. Um, and I was given the date of the, the 11th of August, 2014. And on that day, I was prepared. Absolutely, because 
I had been working all my life to get to this point. Mm. So I remember walking in at six o'clock, really prepared, cool, calm, collected. I knew I had this in the bag, sat down, had the interview. You know when an interview is going well, you know yeah. it is going well. Yeah. And, and I remember the final question that the lady asked me, which, by the way, was a generic question. Um, she said to me, is there anything you can tell us that might interfere with your study at this college? And this is a question they ask because some people have got hearing problems, some people have got sight problems or dyslexia, um, and they need support. Uh, for me, my answer was, actually, yes, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer this afternoon. Wow. So what had happened earlier that day is I had gone for the results of a biopsy that I'd had 10 days before. And I walked into Leighton Hospital only to be told that I had breast cancer. Wow. And the weird thing is, I don't know how anybody reacts to being told news like that. I don't mm. think there's a the right way to, to react. Mm. Um, but for me, I remember briefly closing my eyes and then opening my eyes and, and just saying, okay, so what do we do? The doctor starts telling me about the treatment plan they had, you know, uh, that we're going to take. And I remember just gathering my things and start walking out the door. And there's a nurse who's sitting there with a box of tissues to support you, a Macmillan nurse. And she runs after me and she said, where are you going? And I said, I've got an interview. I've got to go. <laughs> and she said, wow. do you actually understand what has just happened to you? And I said, yes, I, I understand. But I need to go because if I don't leave right now, I'm going to be late. So I, I need to go. Wow. And she was really worried about me because it, I guess shock manifests itself in different ways. Um, and she said, I, I don't think you should be driving right now. And I said, I'm going to be driving. Um, and I'm going to go, I'm coming back and I'm going to discuss the treatment plan. But today is not the day for me to discuss my mortality. Wow. I've got an interview and I walked out, got in my car, drove um, to Manchester uh, because my hospital was in crew. And I said, and I had the interview as if nothing had happened. Mm. Um, and I remember when the lady then asked me after I told her that I've been just I've just been diagnosed when she then asked me so why did you come it was then that I realized what had just happened mm. and it was then that I gave an answer that I go to constantly when I'm facing a hard time in my life and what I said to her was ma'am this afternoon I've received news that could possibly derail my life mm. and I could sit and wallow and concentrate on my cancer diagnosis. But for me, I'm hoping that cancer is never going to be the thing that defines me. What I'm doing right now is going to define me. Cancer can only ever be a chapter in my book, but this is what's going to write, write my book. So I would like to carry on and, and follow my dream. Mm. And I was given a chance to, to enroll and study the college. Um, but then when you face the fact that I was a single mom with two boys, yeah. I needed to keep on working full time. My family was in Zimbabwe, so I was mostly by myself. Um, and then studying part time, something had to give. So I made the really, really painful decision of after everything that I've been through, everything that I've done, going over and above the call of duty, I have now 
got to make the decision to drop out of uni. Wow. So it was because of that, that decision that I spiraled into kind of a depression during treatment. And it made it hard for me to function. It made it hard for me to deliver at work. It made it hard for me to be a mom to my kids. And I was looking for something to get me out of this dark place. And that and, something... And, and what was that something? What were you looking for to get you out of this dark place? You're depressed and uh, you, 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 you're finding it difficult to be a mom. What was that thing that would get out of that place? At that time, I didn't know. Honestly, mm. I had no idea. Um, some people would have gone and spoken to, you know, someone in the medical field, uh, a nurse, and, and told them. But I, I'd always, up until recently, I'd always had this pride, this strong black woman pride. So, you know, anything comes at me, I can do it. So I just started trying different things until I then one day decided that every morning I'm going to wake up, have a shower, put my makeup on, put a nice dress on and high heels. And just, that was the plan. At that time, I was desperate. And that was the whole of the plan. And I called it Lipstick and Heels. Why, Cody? Why Lipstick and Heels? I mean, uh, that, that, that seems to be a very strange way of reacting to this. Talk to me about why Lipstick and Heels. You know when they say a drowning man clutches a straws? Yeah. When I started that journey, I didn't know why, because I had tried other things. I had tried, you know, going out with the girls, but then I, I, I looked different. I was, mm. I was in pain most of the time. I had tried other things. I had tried reading. I had tried writing in a diary, but nothing was helping. So this was just me clashing at straws. But what then happened is something weird started happening because mm. I started waking up every morning looking forward to getting dressed, looking forward to dressing up, looking forward. And there was an uplifting thing. Something inside started changing. And I don't know even today, if you ask me how, why that worked, I couldn't wow. tell you. All I know is it worked. And the only thing I can think is for the first time in a long time, I had control back. I could control how I looked. I could control my wig. I could control my dress. I could control. And looking good on the outside makes you feel better on the inside. Mm. And it, it did the trick. So for me, the idea became, I'm going to look as good as I can. And you know, when you look good and people say, oh, you're looking nice today. It gives you that. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. In, your, in your step, you, you have yeah. a bounce in your step. So I, 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 was, I was feeding off this new Cody that everybody was commenting on how good they looked. So I then obsessively became concerned about how I looked. Mm. Um, and the one thing that then happened was my hair had fallen off at this time and I was prepared for it. Everybody told me. But what nobody told me was it's not just the hair on your hair that falls out. It's all of your hair. Mm. So when my eyebrows and my eyelashes started falling out, I wasn't prepared. So I hit another wall and I just wanted that really perfect looking Cody to come back. Mm. And the eyebrows were easy because I just went, bought some eyebrows, uh, eyebrow pencil, drew on my eyebrows. But the lashes, I then found out that if you haven't got your own existing lashes, it's really hard to wear false eyelashes. False mm. eyelashes, this is this. Let's imagine this is your lash. Yeah. The false eyelash needs to rest on something which acts like a ledge. Yeah. 
Uh -huh. So without that ledge, the false eyelash, because it's quite heavy and it's only um, attached to your eyelid by a sort of like a paper thin kind of edge, mm. it then starts to droop. So mm. it could never stay in place and it was really, really difficult. So that's when I just stayed set at my kitchen table, bought a lot of eyelashes and just started trying to figure out how do I make them stay in place. And this is how basically Silash was born. Wow. Wow. Talk, talk to me about that. Do you remember the particular moment when, when the idea just, uh, uh, the, sort of the Eureka moment? Do you remember the Eureka moment when you said, I have found it? Do you remember that moment? I do. I actually do. And you know what? I was wearing a, a red T-shirt with Zimbabwe across it. I remember because I got goosebumps mm. when I did it. Um, I was sitting and um, when I was in Zimbabwe, when I finished high school, I did uh, mechanical engineering at, at Mashingo Technical College. So I had a bit of this. Um, so I, I kind of think, how do I offset the weight of the lash against mm -hmm. the attachment? Yeah. And I thought, I need to increase the surface area that is sticking onto the light because then if you've got a larger surface area that is keeping it in place, yeah. you can balance a, a larger weight onto the mm. slash. Mm. So that's how I approached it. And then I went and I found sellotape and I attached the sellotape and I sort of like bent it and I put it on my eyelid and it stayed. Mm. And I remember looking, it, it looked nothing like the lash that we sell now. But I remember thinking, this is what I'm going to, this is my starting point. And I remember having goosebumps. And I actually remember the actual moment. And, and tell me, when, when then did it become, okay, I could do this for myself? When did it become a business idea? It became a business idea when, because when I was ill, anything that took my mind away from the pain and the, the fear was quite welcome. So I obsessively started working on this eyelash. Um, when it became a business idea is I had a friend who had alopecia. Mm -hmm. And I had noticed for years, not, not even for years, I think I'd worked with her for about two years. She didn't wear false eyelashes. And I never questioned why. And one day she came and I was tinkering with these lashes and I was excitedly telling her that I'm going to perfect it. I know it doesn't look great right now, but it's going to look great when I'm done. And she said to me, you know what, if you sold me that lash, I'll buy it. Mm. And I stopped and I thought, oh, wow. so this is something bigger than myself. And then that's when I started thinking, okay, if, if I can't wear lashes and she can't wear lashes, who else can't wear lashes? Mm. And then I started, when I was going for um, treatment, I would start asking the other patients that I was in treatment with. So my first business plan was written in a waiting room while I was waiting to go for radiotherapy. Mm. You had then an opportunity to approach uh, Boots, um, the, uh, the, the, the pharmacy uh, medical dispensary, and you, had, you made a pitch uh, to them. Talk to me about the idea to approach Boots, point number one. Point number two, walk me through that pitch that you presented to Boots. So before we went to Boots, so um, I needed to perfect the idea because I knew that if I was going to sell this to, if I was seriously going to do this, I, I needed something that looked good, except I'd never run a business. Mm. So 
prototype was not a word that I'd ever heard or used. Mm. So I didn't even know what it is that I was trying to achieve. I went on Google. Eventually, I found out that I needed a prototype. Um, I didn't have money to go to China where the prototype companies were based. And the IP laws in China are quite different from the UK. So I, I wanted to protect my idea. So I wasn't keen on going to China and giving them my idea. Mm. I then ended up going to a company in South Island Sea, which is quite a way away, about four hours from here. And they do not do beauty product at all. They are an engineering company. They work with car parts, you know, street lighting and things like that. So way away from beauty products. And I called them and I said, I, I understand part of your business, you do prototyping. And they said, yeah. And I said, I need you to do a prototype for me. And these guys are thinking, this is some lady who's come up with a new idea of, I don't know, car lights or car doors or something. And I said, I need you to do eyelashes. And I remember the lady, the, the, the guy laughing and he's like, do you know what we do? And I said, yes, I have done a research on your company. I know exactly what was the company and what it does. The reason I'm coming to you is you know absolutely nothing about lashes. Mm. I know absolutely nothing about lashes. And I've got an idea that I do not want anyone with preconceived ideas to change. Yeah. So I just need you to take what's in my head and reproduce it and make it as good as you can. And I was like, okay, we like a challenge. We'll do this. So we started working on a prototype. Now that I had a prototype, a, a professional prototype, I started approaching um, a retail outlets to sell mm. this product. And I remember I was calling everyone and people who have never lost their lashes. It's quite difficult to pitch an mm. idea. Bringing a new product to market is difficult. Wow. So pitching an idea as somebody who's got no business background, who's got no beauty background, um, who doesn't even know what a prototype is, and trying pitching an idea like that to a really big multi-million dollar retail outlet is really difficult. Um, and by chance, I was leaving, I was calling every two weeks, I would call and leave a message. No one would call me back. And I'll do that again and again and again. Eventually, um, Booth uh, called me back. And I actually remember this day uh, I was working, so I didn't pick up my phone. And then I went to pick up my phone and there was a message from Booth saying, we heard about this life that you, you keep talking about. Um, we are interested to just find out more. And it wasn't sort of like, we, we, we want to work with you. We just want to find out more. And I panicked because my prototype is not yet ready. Mm. And Booth is talking about talking, setting up a meeting the following week. So I called them back. And remember, my at this point, I think my ignorance was what was opening doors for me because I wasn't scared of what other people would have been scared of. Yeah. I would knock on doors that other people would be hesitant to knock on because I didn't know they were scared mm. of doors to knock on. Um, so I called Booz, and if Booz asks you, you know, everybody wants to have their product in Booz. So if they say, come for an interview or come for a meeting, you don't, you don't hesitate, you just go because, but I called them and I was like, I, I need you to give me three months. I need to perfect my prototype. And I think for me, it would make more sense if I was to show and tell rather than to tell you what I'm trying to do. And they were gracious enough to allow me to do that. Wow. Um, I arrived to this prototyping company. We managed to get the prototype in time. In fact, two weeks before I was due for the meeting. And I walked in. And Trevor, I would like to say I gave a pitch that moved mountains. It didn't. Wow. It fell flat on its really? face. Really? 
Wow. How could I? I'd never pitched a product. I was the first time pitching a product ever. So I did a diabolical job. It wasn't mm. good. Mm. And I could see that I was losing my crowd. And I was, you know, when things are not going yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. The thing that saved me was, A, I didn't have lashes at that time. And B, I was wearing the prototype. And the whole time that we'd been sitting across from each other talking, they didn't realize that the lashes that I had on were false lashes. Wow. And that was what changed that meeting for me. So they asked, did they ask you about, about your lashes? Yes, they, because I had spent a good 30 minutes explaining and pitching and trying to sell this idea, and they were not having it. And then as a throwaway at the end of the meeting, I just said, well, I'm actually wearing the lashes right now. And they were like, those are not your lashes. I was like, no, I haven't got any lashes. Wow. And they were like, and they came closer. And because I had gone for a very natural life that for me, I wasn't trying to create a beauty product. Mm. I was trying to recreate my face. I wanted my face back. So you're, it trying, was to, you're trying to solve your problem, a problem that I you're was, facing, uh, Cody. Yes. I, I wasn't trying to impress the world. I just wanted my old face back. So wow. the lash was supposed to be as natural as possible. So you wouldn't even notice that somebody is wearing false lashes. Mm. And, and that's when the, the meeting changed. And they were like, okay, we do like your, your product, but is it patented? And I was like, what is patented? <laughs> what is a <what> patent? <laughs> <laughs> this, they, they said, is it trademarked? And I was like, no. Um, and is it protected in any way? And I was like, I, I no, not yet, because I didn't know. Wow. And, but what I did say to them is, what I can promise you is I have come this far, but I didn't come this far just to come this far. Mm. Tell me what you need me to do and I'll do it. Mm. So they said, we need this idea. We need a, It needs to have a pattern. We cannot work with the idea that's not protected. It needs to be trademarked because we do not want somebody then coming and you know, it's like claiming the... So I went away. And when I went away, I went to speak to an IP lawyer. At that time, I had maybe about 65 pounds in my account or something like that. And this guy called me 25,000 wow. for a patent pounds. Wow. I did not have 25,000 pounds. Trademark, um, I think trademark was about around the $300 pound mark. So what I did was... Meanwhile, you have 65 I, pounds in your pocket. I had 65 pounds in my pocket. Wow. So what I did was I started, again, I went back to Google and into chat rooms and just asking people, um, what do you do? Uh, this company wants to work with me, but I don't have a patent. And, um, and everybody was like, you need a patent. Until one day somebody mentioned registration of design. And this mm. guy was saying, registration design is... Is, a, is another kind of pattern, except it protects the functionality of a product where pattern protects the look of a product. Mm -hmm. So if you, a lot of people don't know about registration of a design, but it does exactly the same thing. So companies can work with you with registration of design, mm. but if you haven't got a pattern, so you've got a, your patent pending, but you can get your registration of design. I was like, okay. And then you said something that really pricked my eyes up. It's actually cheaper than a pattern. So wow. I went back to my patent lawyer and I said, can you do a registration of design? I was like, actually, that's quite impressive. You know about that. Yeah, actually, it's much cheaper. And I said, how much? And he said about 12000 Wow. That's not, to me, that's, that's not just cheap. I've got 65 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So 
so you know what? I, I am the dyslexic person who always finds a way. For the next six weeks, I went and I downloaded everything I could find about registration of design. Took me six goals, but I managed to do it myself. You did it yourself? I did it myself for wow. less than 200 pounds. Wow. And then, and then I went and I, because I'd done a, a registration of design myself, I went and I did a trademark myself. And then I went to the business show in London and I went and pitched my idea and I won Innovation of the Show Award. So back in 2015 was when I won my first award. Mm. So I called Booth and I said, I've got a registration of design. And they said, yeah, we like that. I've got a trademark, absolutely. And I've got an award. And mm. they said, okay, come, let's have a conversation. So mm-hmm. we sat down and they said, okay, this is good. We didn't expect you to come back, actually, because, you know, a lot of people wouldn't. But now the next problem is we've got over 2,000 shops. If we gave you an order, how are you going to supply it? Mm. And I said, I don't know, but give me time. I'm going away. I'm going to find a, a, a way. And they said, actually, we need you to, because we know you're serious, we need you to um, meet someone. They then introduced me to a, a gentleman at that time called Simon Zussman. Mm. He was the guy who owned ILO, which is one of the biggest light um, suppliers in Europe. And we sat down and uh, I had to pitch. At this time, I had a few... Um, few hours pitching experience under my belt. So I did a decent pitch. Um, and then they invited me to London. We sat down. They did agree that we could work together to bring this idea to market because he really liked the idea. And mm. that's how Sela started. But this was in 2016. And the funny thing is for someone who'd never run a business, you know, it's like you you think, you know, I've done it. You know, I mm. left that meeting I went to the McLaren garage. So my, my expectations were quite high and I went shopping for my car because I thought <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> Is that, were you, com- were you that confident or what? Like I said, I was ignorant. And, and, and this is why, you know, it's like I talk about lessons from the canvas. Wow. I fell at every turn that I took because I didn't know that Overnight success takes a very, very, very long time. And uh, so essentially, you from 2015 to 2019, um, you were still working behind the scenes. What else were you doing? I mean, uh, were you ever tempted to give up? Were you ever tempted to say, you know, that there's so many hurdles that I need to, uh, to, 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 to over- overcome? Were you tempted to give up at all? Oh, do you know, I, I'm always the girl who's got one in the chamber, just, just the one bullet in the chamber. So for me, giving up is never an option. If I find an opportunity, um, if there's still, you know, water in it, I'm going to stay and just see mm. how it with this. Because for me, my thing was to invent a product and I had achieved that. Mm. Anything else that came after was icing on top. Mm. So there was no way that I could give up because I had achieved from a goal who no one ex- expected nothing from. Wow. I had, I had achieved so much more than I ever thought I could achieve. Mm. So giving up, who knew when next I was going to come up with a good idea. So it was never a, 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 um, something that, and I, and I think I lost a lot of 
friends, uh, and I, I, I lost a lot of things in that moment because for me, I was so confident and so um, invested in this idea mm. that I then sacrificed some things because not everybody can see the vision that you've got and not everybody can get on board because it, it, I, I had to sacrifice units like um, work. I had to quit my job because at some point, especially towards the, um, the launch of the product, there was a lot of work to be done and mm. I could not stay working at this company where this guy had been really good to me. I wasn't let's, talk about, let's talk about those lessons, uh, Cody, uh, the lessons that you learned. I gather that you, you actually parted with your boyfriend. That's one of the sacrifices that you had to endure. Talk to me about the lessons that you learned, uh, you know, trying to put this business together, trying to create uh, these um, uh, artificial uh, eyelashes for people going through uh, chemotherapy. Um, I think these lessons, I, 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 I call them lessons from the canvas only because it, it comes from, you know, it's like when you're in a boxing ring and you get yeah. knocked out and you go on the canvas. Um, and some of the most important lessons as a boxer, you learn when you've been knocked down. So mm. you learn about your opponents, you, know, you learn about your own weaknesses. And one of the lessons that I learned is, you know, it's like be comfortable with your own flaws. Mm. Know who you are, know the things... If you know the things that you don't do very well, no one can use them against you. And if somebody attacks you and say to you, could you've got a bit of a temper, I'm not going to get defensive because I know it's true. Mm. I can only look at myself and say, in that meeting, did, did I overreact? Yeah. Because I am prone to overreacting. Or my time, my timekeeping is atrocious. I had to set my, my clock uh, today that I'm having... <laughs> an hour before because if I hadn't done that I was going to be late so wow. because I know these things I can do something about them mm. and it's like mm. one of the biggest lessons and the other lesson is learn your walk away point when mm. you're starting a business learn when your idea is not a good idea and say maybe this to me it sounds Everybody that I'm asking, sometimes people are wrong. Sometimes, mm, you know, mm. um, Ford said, if, I, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Yeah. So sometimes you're right. But sometimes it's the customer that you're supplying that has to call the shots. Mm. Um, so learn when to walk away. In terms of how much you're going to put in this idea, you don't want to leave your family destitute because you've got an idea and you know, it's like you keep pouring money into it. Mm. Uh, in terms of relationships, learn which relationships are important because you cannot keep on going towards this dream that you've got and, and, and forget everything else around you because mm. one day you're going to get to the end where you've achieved your dream and you're standing there by yourself. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing worse than achieving everything that you've ever wanted and it feels like a hollow lesson. Mm. And, and then, then the one lesson list. you say, uh, you know, I, li I love this one. Know when to kill your darlings. Know when to kill your darlings. So I think, you know, you, you can relate to this because you did say you're dyslexic. Dyslexic people, we are ideas persons. Mm. We are ideas people. We are always coming up with ideas. I've got ideas. I, I sleep. With that's fascinating. I mean, people think I'm crazy, but I've got these ideas and, uh, you try to sell them to people. You try to persuade people. Talk, talk to me about those ideas. 
I, 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 I sleep with, so I've, I've got, I think I've got, um, I've got. Not pen, yeah. <laughs> I've got about six or seven of these. Yeah. And I sleep with one uh, by my bedside because for me, three o'clock is, is, is my magic time. I, I wake up because I can't sleep or I wake up because I've been, I can't sleep because, and I, I just come up with an idea. Or if I'm working, I'm walking in a shop, I suddenly see something, I'm like, oh my God, that's a really good business idea. And you end up with all these ideas that you think absolutely that, that idea is going to make me money or absolutely this. And you've got all these ideas and mm. you're excited about all of them. But if you try and follow each and every one of those ideas, you end up with nothing. Absolutely. So you have to absolutely say, you know what, this is a good idea and it would have made me lots of money and it would mm. have done this, but you know, I'm going to kill this darling. It's mm. not going to save me at this point in time. Another, another, another lesson that I love, sorry to break your stride, but I love this one. Destinations in business are a mirage. Talk to me about that one, that lesson. Yes, so destinations are a mirage. For me, I realized, for me, my, my destination was to launch my business in, in, in a high street shop. And, and I thought, and because I didn't know at that time, I thought when, once I've achieved this, that's it. But the thing is, by the time you get to that destination, it's like mm. a horizon. You never, mm. you never reach mm. it because mm. there's something that you need. So I, I got my, my, my lashes and goals. The next thing that I wanted was I want them in America. And then they went into America. And then I was like, I want them in Europe. And now we're <laughs> in Europe. And now I'm thinking, I want my lashes in, in, in Africa. So you never get, and even in, in terms of the ideal sea lash itself, it is it's, it's like an animal that keeps on growing. And, mm. you know, it, it, it's, you never quite reach your destination in business because I think we, we, we go into business because we're passionate about it. And your passion never dies. The more you feed it, the more it grows. How does it feel like, Cody, to be um, known as the first ever person to create false lush, a false lush range for people with chemotherapy, going through chemotherapy, how does that feel? Do you ever stand in front of the mirror and 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 and, and go through that? Do, do you know? It's quite funny because I I I have not I have not had a a moment of maybe maybe listening to it. Quite, I think it's the first time like somebody is saying it. <laughs> quite like that <laughs> right i i think i need to do that because i think i'm so busy working and, wow. and i think I've, I've accused myself i'm so busy working and working on things that i never really stop and just say wow what an achievement what an achievement so you, you then went on um uh, cody and created in 2016 nakao um and 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 got into partnership with uh, ailua to, to, to supply boots, like you say, there are 2,000 stores. Your sea uh, lash is now available in, Aust- in, Aust- in Australia, in Norway, in Sweden, in Poland, and in Finland, uh, in the United States through Walgreens. I mean, that's, that's a huge achievement. That's a huge feat. Talk to me about what that makes you feel. And in addition to that, uh, Cody, you have won so many awards. I mean, I, I can't go through all of them now. What do those awards mean to you? What does it mean knowing that your products are in 2,000 boot stores, Walgreens, Australia, Norway, Finland, and all those countries? 
I think there are some things that you can never quantify or never, they don't fit in your mouth because you, you are that girl. I am that girl from Rukare Primary School who was, I, I always say to people, for me, I think the person that I became is I got used to the sound of laughter. Everybody loves to know the sound of, to, to hear the sound of laughter. But what if that laughter was at your expense? Mm. I was that kid who would always put my hand up and everybody would laugh at me. Mm. And for me to come from that person who was always bottom of my class to this person that you're talking about now, it doesn't make sense. You know, when people dream, there are some dreams that you can, it, it's like asking me to dream in French. I can't. I can't articulate, it's, it's not possible because I don't speak French. So this is a dream that was never dreamt. Um, and the fact that I am living it, I, I don't take it for granted. I do not for a moment think that it was because I am so clever or I'm so able. Um, I, I, and I didn't do it by myself. I, I have always said, you know, I have had strangers, friends, family that have carried me on this journey. Um, the same thing is only my name gets mentioned, but I do have people everywhere because if if I didn't have those people who were helping me, like you got in touch today, you you will be part of the person who will the people who is going to get my name out there. I I, I don't know how you heard about me, and um, you know I'm like I said, I I don't know who's more excited, me or my dad. But these are the things that I say. I let's let's talk about those people that have contributed to who you have become. Your father. Uh, who, who who else has carried you? Who else has has, has been there by your side, Cody? Do you want do you want to talk about those people? I think my, my mom and my dad. So my my dad has always been. Um, very instrumental in my, my dad was he worked for national rulers of Zimbabwe and what's his uh, name was, let's name them mom and dad what are their names <laughs> so my dad is called Kadiwa Kapari and yeah. my, my, my mom is called Sebria and my dad had my dad um when we we're growing up he worked uh, as a security guard at uh, national rulers of Zimbabwe when he first started um and we didn't have you know it's like we didn't have a lot growing up mm. what we lacked in money we made up for in love and laughter because at home the one thing that you could always hear in our house we were either singing or laughing um, and my dad would always say don't ever live a parasitic life I would sell my own kidney if you want to go to school I would make wow. it happen wow. and he was very forward thinking in that he, he realized that within your own hands is your that that's where your liberty lies, you're mm. your own rescue. Mm. And he would always say that to us as, as girls. And he says to do not be, um, do not, do not let your decision be um, influenced by what's in your pocket. So by then, by that, he, he, he meant like, if, if, if somebody is going to treat you in a certain way, you're going to take that treatment because your pocket doesn't allow you to go to yeah. a different place. Yeah. And then my mom, my mom put steel in my veins. My mom is a strong woman who never wow. says never. Wow. Uh, I went through cancer treatment by myself, not by myself, but then, you know, it's like my brothers and sisters are in Zimbabwe. My mom and dad are still in Zimbabwe. But I wasn't worried because she raised a woman who had strong wings. And mm. she, she, she made sure that I could fly. So as much as it was a tough time, 
My mom came through. She was sitting on my shoulder the whole time. Mm. My brothers and my sisters. Um, How many do you have? Brothers and sisters? Four, uh, three brothers and three sisters. So mm-hmm. I am number five. So I'm a middle okay. child. Right. With middle child traits. Okay. Uh, but still you're not child. So, you know, we are, we, we are a proud, you know, family. And we, we have always... We stand in the gap for each other, you know. Mm. We, if if one of us, you, you, you know, it's like we we are like the nose and the eye. You, you pop mm. one, the other one runs. That's mm. what that's how we've always been, and mm. we celebrate each other. And if somebody has achieved something, it's all our achievement. If somebody is hurting, it's all our, it's all of us who's crying. Mm. Um, and I had my my dad had a brother um who who passed away, so he's his kids who in, in, in my country in Zimbabwe, those are my brothers and my sisters. Mm. I guess here they'll be my cousins. For me, they were. So one of my cousin brothers who was here for a long time, um, guide, uh, he was here with me throughout my cancer treatment. And he and I'm glad that he saw me when Silash was um mm. was then um launched and became unfortunately he died at the beginning oh. of COVID. Mm. from um from complications with covid um and i do have extended family in the uk that okay. would come um my cousins who would come and look after me and the local women in north in in northwich where i live in cheshire they they are local business women who at the beginning i met one lady and she said you need to come to a local meeting um and I went there um, and that lady became like a godmother to me wow. because she introduced me to a lot of people who then would mention my name in rooms where opportunities were. And wow. from Norway, I would get a call, somebody saying, we heard about your lashes. Have you thought about going to so-and-so? Or I've got an email uh, address for you. Or I've got a phone number. Can you just call wow. such and such? Wow. And that's that's how it's happened. Do you believe in God? Are you a spiritual person at all? I am a spiritual person, not so much a Christian, but a spiritual person. Absolutely believe in God. Okay. I grew up in a in a Catholic church, but I all do, right. and this is why I say, for me, I I think my path is led, and I I think that God is very much has got a, a, a bigger plan for me because. Like I say, the things that I have done since being diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't make sense. It's almost like the cancer was paving a way for the things that were to come. It was all necessary. It, it was, was all necessary as part, as part of your journey. So, uh, Cody, where were you born? Were you born in Masingo? Where, where, where were you born and which schools did you go to? I was born in Barry. I was born in Edith Oppenman because my dad... My dad is. My dad used to work for the railways, so we were um, we used to live at the railway railways camp in in town. So it is okay. open, and I was delivered by Biabakas. You remember back in the day? Yes, yes. Yes, my mom tells me that she used to be a midwife, and she's the lady who delivered me. And then you went to which school, uh, Cody? I went to Rugare Primary. Mm-hmm. Um, near Kambusuma, and then I went to Mount Pleasant for a bit, and then the rest of my uh, O levels I did at Machingo Christian. And you did, you said you did mechanical engineering. Where did you do mechanical engineering? 
at Mashingo Technical College. Mashingo Technical College. And then you left. Tell me about the reasons why you decided to leave Zimbabwe and go to, 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 to London. What were the reasons for that? Um, I think at that time, for most of us, it was just looking for a better life. I had mm. a son at that time and I needed to provide for my son. So for me, it was really, I needed to find something better for my son. So um, I did come here and uh, obviously when you come here, it was never easy. Um, the first jobs that I was doing was I was working in a, in a warehouse uh, picking and packing, and I was working at Trafford Centre at one point, uh, cleaning toilets. Um, mm. So that was uh, when I first. A tough beginning, a humbling beginning, uh, Cody. Um, yeah, but I think for me at that time it wasn't so much about what I did. It was so much about could I do the things that I came out to do. I needed to provide for my family, and I was doing that, mm. and that was for me that was okay and you now have uh, an MBA from Manchester Metropolitan University talk to me about that so yeah so obviously I had not managed to um, I had not managed to attain my dream of graduating as a lawyer but I'd always known that I wanted to graduate um, I, 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 I was not very bright and and for me, being able to graduate was not so much to show other people, but self-actualization to say to yourself, girl, it's not that you're not bright. You just mm. have never been able to find your place. So when I started Silage, obviously the dream of becoming a lawyer became, it, 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 it's still there. Maybe I will do it one day. Who knows? The, the world's my oyster. But then for me, it made more sense because I would go for meetings and I would realize how much I lagged in knowledge in terms of running a company you know up until that point I was doing things because I was in this I was doing a lived experience but running a business is a serious thing it's it's, it's something that I wanted to do seriously and I needed to understand how to run a business and imposter syndrome was the other thing I would feel as if I wasn't good enough to sit at these tables so I needed to do something about that so I saw an advert that was advertising um, for people to apply for a scholarship to do a master's. Now, remember, I didn't do my first degree. So mm. I thought, okay, this, I, I probably won't get in. But I am the, the, the girl who never lets an opportunity pass me by. So I applied. I was quite upfront about the fact that I didn't have a first degree. Uh, but I, I did state that I was already running my own business and would they consider me. Um, not only did they consider me, but I won the scholarship. Wow. So um, wow. in 2017, I, I then started. And the good thing that happened about that, I think the most important is that's when I found out that I was dyslexic because it was mm. through the assessment and everything that I had to do the test to see if I was dyslexic um, just so that they could see how, how best to help me. It was wow. probably one of the hardest things that I did because... The MBA. The MBA, yeah, it, it was hard because I had to think differently. I had to think in a, in a way that I'd never thought before. Mm. It changed me in a very, very good way. But I always say, had I done my MBA before starting my business, I would never started my business. But now that I've started my business, the MBA was the best thing that I'd ever done. 
Fantastic. I mean, you 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 say one of uh, your less the lessons which we have talked about is know your flaws. I mean, uh, uh, Cody, you you are dyslexic. You suffer from imposter syndrome. You were not trained in business, and you go and do all that. Tell me, is there anything that your children have taught you? Do you know, I I was talking to a lady the other day, and I said, when I grow up, I want to be like my kids. I have two boys. (laughs) Right, you have two boys. I have two boys who have um, never given me a reason to, you know, it's like... What what are their ages, Cody? What are their ages? So my oldest, Panache, is 21, and Taku is 14. Takunda. Okay. 14. And they are very different in the sense that Panache is the um, is the stylish one who has got ideas about running his own empire. And Taku is the academic one who's very quiet. You don't know what he's thinking, and he's always, you know. Um, but they are um, they are kids who've always given me a reason to want to try harder, and mm. they they just they have taught me that I have got a capacity to love that's deeper than anything I ever thought. And, and, and I, I just, I look at them and for, for two boys who grew up together, I've never seen them fighting. And, and, and yeah, they, they just, they're brilliant kids. I'm blessed. Mm, wow. Wow. And, and to, tell me, uh, Cody, what lessons has your life taught you about life? I think one of the, the one of the things that I have learned, and the, one of the things that I am actually still learning is nobody can do it alone. Oh, right. I still have one of these strong black woman syndrome. I think I suffer from that. I I don't like asking for help. Where I can do it by myself, I like doing it by myself. Throughout my my treatment, I tried to be very strong. I tried to not even ask people to take me for appointments. I tried to drive myself. I would still come home and try to work full time and cook for myself. What that did to me, I was running. In fact, I did um, I did Tough Mudder, which is one of the toughest races um, maybe in the world. Six months after I finished treatment, wow. I climbed one of the highest mountains in Scotland nine months after I finished treatment. Mm. So physically, I was killing it, but mentally, I really was hurting, not only my myself, but my kids as well, because what I then realized later is people, the people around you are impacted by what you're going through. So my kids mm. were seeing me struggling, but people heal by helping you. If you allow them to come in, they heal with you. But because wow. I never let my kids in, they never managed to do that. And a lot of people have told me that, you know, it's like, we wish you'd let us help you. Wow. Because wow. it would have up, uh, allowed us to get over what you're getting through. You did it yourself, uh, but you didn't allow us to do that. Mm. Cody, you, am I right that you've been cancer-free for six years now? Yes. yes and that's, that's, that's still the condition now? That is still the condition. I still May have it to stay like testing. that. May it stay like that. And um, what, what's your life like? I mean, uh, it, it must be one of those moments you get up every day grateful for each day. Talk to me about being cancer-free for six years and knowing that, uh, you know, there's this threat of this thing. One of the things that was quite 
scary for me for the first few months was um, it, it was the fear, not, not maybe first two years, it was living your life, being scared that cancer is going to come back. Mm. And it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like living, it's, it's, it's like getting to your destination, but the, just then staying at the bus stop because you're scared to cross the road. Mm. And I, then I realized this is what I was doing. And I decided that I was going to live rather than survive. I mm. didn't want to, to repeat the same day for the next 30 years and call it a life. Mm. And then I decided that I was going to ride this life until the wheels come off. So I do the things that I've never done before. I travel by myself. I, 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 I take my boys out for a meal and we dress up for no reason at all, apart from it's a Sunday. Um, we, we, we visit people, we visit places, we make memories now. And I just, I, I am just grateful for being able to be alive. And whether I'm gonna be alive for a few years or many years, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it count. So tell me, um, Cody, would you have a message for um, people across the world who have just been told that they've got cancer? Do you have a message for women going through chemotherapy right now who are patients um, who are in that dark place that you were that day when you when you were told? What message would you give? Um, to people that are going through what you went through seven, eight years ago? I think the most important thing is um, there is no way, there is no clear-cut way of going through cancer. There's no prescribed way of going through cancer. Listen to yourself and listen to your body. And this is the time to realize it's okay to be selfish. It's Mm -hmm. okay to set boundaries. And if help is offered take it. If it's not offered, ask for it. Cancer is a tough gig. No one, no one can go through it alone. Mm. But the thing is, I think hope is the last thing that we should lose. Because in that, in those moments, in those first days, especially, it, it comes in waves of, I had to sit with my older son and, 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 and plan my funeral. I had, I needed him to know what's going to happen. And those things are going to happen. And there are days when getting out of bed is the biggest thing that you can do. There are days when being able to just eat something and stay honest. So just take each day as it comes and just remember, you don't have to do it. Like people, the reason I did this tough mother and I was running marathons and stuff is because I dread something. And it's like, I, I dread of these people who have, come out and do did these amazing things. Yes, physically, it, it's, it's nice to talk about it, but it didn't do me any favors mentally. It didn't mm. do me any favors in rebuilding relations with my children. So surviving cancer is big enough a battle. Don't try to do it like superwoman. No mm. one is, no one is expecting you to just live your life and have a quality life because this is not... It, it, it's, it's not a drill. This is the real drill. Mm. So you can only ever do the best with the life that you've got. And what's the next big thing for Cody? I hear you uh, playing around with coming up with your own gene called Cody Black. Is, is, is that true? 
Yes, absolutely. This is true. Um, we were hoping that it would have been. Actually, this is the first time people are going to hear about this. So we were we were hoping that uh, we're going to launch this um, by Christmas. Uh, there have been a few children problems because Silas, like again, we go back to killing your darlings. Mm. Silas is my main focus, and Jane yeah. really was something that was came up during the lockdown because we were really kind of scared that are we going to survive lockdown or anything like that. So now lockdown has passed and we are still here and we're still fighting fit. So I had to re um, focus my attention on silage because there is a lot more that this, not just silage, the sea range um, brand needs to achieve. Mm. So the gene is still very much going to happen. And mm. now that you have said it and you put it out there, I have to deliver. <laughs> but yes, and, and, and talk, to me, talk to me about the C range. What else do you have in the C range? The C range is going to be um, a makeup range, a skincare okay. range. Okay. Um, and um, because for me, I think what I found out when I did my, my MBA, I did then lean towards my, my dissertation was around ethnic marketing of cancer beauty products mm. um, and what I found out in my research was there are products on the market that have got um, chemicals in them that are not very good for people who are immunocompromised mm. or whose immune system is not very good mm. um, and I want to create a range that addresses those problems that if you ever pick up one of my skincare products or my makeup products you don't have to read the label because I've already done that for you. Okay. I'll make sure that whatever you put on your skin while you're going through that time is not going to be a problem for you. Mm. Uh, but just allow you to look beautiful because back in the day when people were diagnosed with cancer, it was a death sentence. Nobody mm. really cared how you look. Mm. Now it's completely different. So if you want to, you don't have to, that's the thing, you don't have to get up and put makeup on. But if you do want to put makeup on, you don't have to worry about what you're putting on the skin either. Mm. So the, the lashes that you're putting on right now, is that sea lash? They are sea lash, yes. All right, and, and the hair? Not yet? Uh, <laughs> the hair is just... I, I, come on, I was coming to, uh, to have a tra- conversation with Trevor. I had to have <laughs> hair, outrageous <laughs> hair. It needed to be done. <laughs> You know, um, the, the, the people that watch uh, in conversation with Trevor, uh, Cody, love books. And as you can see, lots of books behind me. I love books. And uh, I wonder, do you, do you enjoy reading books? And if you do, are there any books that you've read that you want to recommend to our book-loving audience? I do. I do love read books. And, and I think maybe like, like dyslexic, you, you like going away in an imaginary world. And, and, and Yeah. And for me, so the three books, so it's, it's, it's quite hard to choose only three books, three books that I've chosen, like back in the day, um, anybody who remembers Pumara um, Ropa by Patrick Chakaipa. Uh-huh. Now, I love that book because it, it, would, it, it was a book that would transport you. It, 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 it would stand shoulder to shoulder with Games, Games of Thrones and stuff. Mm. It, the story is so well written. I can still remember, you know, passages from the book now, years later, you know, um, 
it was just one of those books that made me fall in love with the Shona. I love Shona. I love my 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 native language. Mm-hmm. It's such a rich, powerful language, and just it, it one of it's one of those books that just made me fall in love. Right. The next book that I was thinking about is um, a book that I read, and I read this book years ago, and then I started reading it again when I was um, going through cancer treatment, and it's called Touching the Void by Bill Simpson, and it's, it's just a book about this guy who, they went up the Andes, and he broke his, his leg quite badly, and he, the, the journey, and it, it, it's, it's the journey of him getting from there where he was by mm-hmm. He was supposed to die up there and he managed to get back to base camp and he was rescued. But mm. it's the mental strength of getting to a point where you feel like you've hit the, the, the mm. brink and then telling yourself, I've not had enough, I can still go on. Mm. And I identify with this um, a lot. And then the other book that I recommend is a book called Why I No Longer Speak About Race. Mm. Okay. Yes. I and I I read this book and I put it down and I pick it up and I read, it was called it was written by Remy Remy Edelodge mm-hmm. and the reason I I love this book is because it's the book that taught me to take my soapbox and turn it into a chair oh, wow. because race is quite a complex thing and you can never talk to people or eight people before you listen to them. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I am realizing you can make more progress by dialogue rather than by talking at people. Mm. So, wow. Beautiful yeah. books, beautiful books. I must ask you this though, uh, Cody, do you, two questions really, um, are you thinking of ever coming back home to Zimbabwe? Point number one, point number two. Uh, Zimbabweans and the people on the continent going to have access to your, to your products uh, to the sea lash range? Um, the, the, um, the answer to both questions is yes and yes. Um, definitely. I, I don't know why, but I, when I came here, I did not come back home until last year, December. Wow. So 17 years later, I came back home and I didn't want to come back. I, I fell in love. I, we live on a farm. I, I spend most of my life on a farm and I, I went back to that farm. And the, it, it, it gives you a hug, like your mom's hug. Mm. You remember, it's the smells. You get to the airport and you can smell home. And this, the, the, you, know, you know when people talk about the African smile and yeah. that laugh, chikwe, you know, you don't hear it out here. <laughs> And everybody's just so happy and so embarrassing. So definitely, I am I am coming home. And Silash, yes, our plans are already underway to bring Silash. Um, but we felt that we probably need to bring a bit of a range to Africa rather than just one product. So yes, pr- plans are underway to come to Africa because Africa is home. And for me, home is best. Fantastic. Like I said, when we started, Cody, your story your lived experience, your journey um, is, is uh, very inspirational. It's full of courage, full of determination, full of perseverance, um, knowing your flaws. And uh, it's a story that's going to inspire 
quite a lot of people. I love the lessons that you've uh, shared with us. Um, I mean, when I was reading around your life journey, uh, I found myself almost in tears. Uh, very inspirational story. Very proud of what you've been able uh, to, to achieve. So very proud of you. Um, Cody, thank you so much for creating the time and setting uh, your clock one hour so that you would be on time for, for this conversation. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, allow me now, Cody, to turn to our viewers who are all over the world to say thank you for following in conversation with Trevor and making it the success that it has become. Remember, we are a weekly show. We are out every Monday at 7 a.m. on YouTube to ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations like the conversation I've just had now with Cody Gapare, please press on this uh, button and subscribe. When you subscribe, you'll receive an alert every time we have one of these uh, quality conversations. We've gone a step further and created a podcast uh, for your listening pleasure. If you scroll down this video, you'll find the link, uh, click onto that link, and, uh, and listen to all these quality conversations that we have for you. Until next time, and by the way, we read all your comments, we see your suggestions, and we're grateful for that. Until next time, cheers to you all.